that. I'm pleased to say we're joined online by Chris Making. Good evening, Chris. How are you? Good evening, boys. How are we? Not too bad, thank you. Hi, Chris. Hi, good evening. Um, I'm going to pass it over to Chris uh, in a minute because he's been asking all over Twitter. I know you've been retweeting it as well for questions about tonight. Uh, Trying yeah. to get as many as we can for Sun from uh, the Sunderland fans and, and things like yeah. that. Um, what I want to know, Chris, is what you're up to now. I believe you're in Doha working uh, working for TV out there. Yeah, well, that, at the moment I'm on the couch back in Manchester. <laughs> come on for a few days just to tie a little bit of business up and see my family. But I'm working for a TV company called Alcast TV. Uh, they're based in Doha, which is in Qatar. I work with uh, Rodri Williams, who's a, a former presenter of uh, Sky Sky Sports, and I'm with uh, Nicky Summerby as well. Um, Jim Chilton was out there last year with us, but he's unfortunately he, he's relocated back to Belfast. Uh, unfortunate for us, but fortunately for the Northern Irish FA, because he's like, I think his task is to produce more kids for Northern Ireland, which right. will be, which I think is a thankless. Task, yeah, yeah, which, uh, yeah, it's really you know, it's really good over there in, in Doha and Qatar. And um, last week was really that was something special because uh, all the TV crews were out there. CNN did a big uh, news bulletin on why they should have the World Cup and why they shouldn't have the World Cup. So it's a really interesting time out there at the moment. Mm-hmm. So, what's your opinion on the World Cup? Because obviously, it's caused so much controversy back here. Uh, yeah. with, uh, should it be in the winter? Should it be in the summer? Would it be safe to have it in the summer? What, what's your take on it from from sort of the point of view of being out there? Yeah, my take is, I mean, the, the, what it is in the local league there, the QSL, which is the Qatar Stars League. Some of the stadiums at the moment have air conditioned uh, units in it, so the players seem to like that. I don't think that. I think. We're looking at it from a World Cup point of view. We're looking at it from a spectator's point mm-hmm. of view. The players, I don't think they'll have a problem because there's going to be air-conditioned stadiums. Um, uh, Nicky Summerby made a good point when he was interviewed by CNN. He's a cl- Francis Lee's a very close friend of their family. He said when they went to the World Cup in Mexico in 1970, they played uh, in 110 degrees heat and without any water. You only got water before the match, half-time, and after and after the match. So. The temperatures are going to be similar to that, but you know the, the players get looked after a lot more nowadays. So yeah. I don't think it's from a player's point of view. While the, you know there's, if there's going to be trouble in in the summer heat, I think that's more for the supporters. Um, and then the other debate is for, for the, for the uh, if it's going to be a, a summer World Cup or a winter uh, uh, World Cup is is due to the pressure from the different leagues in Europe. Obviously, if it is a Winter World Cup, it's going to have massive impact on the, the Premier League. Exactly. Um, you know, we don't, obviously, as you're aware, we don't have the winter break. I mean, how, how big of an impact would you see that having on the Premier League? Do you think we'd take a break and just play on longer into the summer? Well, I think... That, I mean, I just got off the experts on television, or so-called experts, and they reckon it's going to take another two, you know, another two, three years to get back to normal. So... For me, when I, when I talk to people in Qatar and, and very high up people, they're adamant and they're confident that you know they can stage a, mm-hmm. a, a summer World Cup. Now, at the moment, when we're out there, the, the infrastructure is just going in now yeah. in terms of motorways, roads, the monorail. Um, they haven't actually started work on on the on the stadium, but the the, the, the uh, infrastructure is going in now at the moment, and you know it's an incredible place to be around and seeing the change that's going on in the city and 
and you know and in Qatar so I mean they're fairly comf- uh, comfortable with the idea that they can stage a World Cup in the summer whether that involves fan zones out of air conditioned I mean they've always gone on about you know the fans will they be walking around the streets and so well nobody walks around the streets of Doha in the summer anyhow because all, all the bars and all the restaurants are in top class hotels it, it, it reminds me a little bit of Las Vegas you know where yeah. you don't really walk the streets anyhow you're always in and out of the hotels and going in and out of the bars so I mean if they've got the monorail and, and people Doha's not that big as well so people will be getting taxis and buses about I don't think there'll be that many people in that walking the streets in that heat anyhow mm-hmm. I think the big debate is whether it's going to impact on the European leagues especially the Premier League yeah, I mean, we we were talking because Chris is a, a Manchester United fan. I'm a Liverpool fan, uh, well, and a couple of the I other guys should, who uh... maybe I should talk to Chris because I'm a United fan. I don't <laughs> want to talk to him. <laughs> uh, when you were playing, Chris, did you ever think about having a break over the Christmas period? I know, I mean, from my point of view, Boxing Day, growing up, was a no. massive day. You get Christmas Day out of the way and get down to football the day after. It was fantastic. But is it something yeah. you ever thought about? No, no. Like I was saying, sorry, before we got cut off, uh, cut up. Um, not as players, no. In them days, I think Boxing Day was the, uh, probably used to get the biggest crowds of the season in on, on a Boxing Day for, for punters, mm-hmm. probably apart from the opening day of the season. And as players, it, you know, we used to love playing over Christmas. It was, it was, it was a t- I know there was a lot of games and it was in such a short span of time, but it was, t- it was time if you had a good run of form or a good run of results and you could pick up a load of points quite quickly. So... Yeah. It was, it was never debated, never never talked about. Uh, I was just saying a minute ago, the, the first uh, midweek winter break I had was when I went to Marseille, and I think we had two or three, uh, two or three weeks off. So that was my first taste of it, and I, f- I found it quite difficult, actually. You just mentioned um, playing for Marseille there, and before, yeah. I, uh, before I pass over to Chris, um, yeah. we've had an, an email in from one of our, from one of our listeners who has yeah. asked, um, I'm just going to find the email, sorry about this. It's okay. Um, it's from Stu Curtin. Um, he's asked, was there much difference in the tactics, the formation and the coaching techniques between um, playing at Marseille <coughs> and playing, say, Sunderland and at Oldham before yeah. that? Yeah, it was just the sheer pace of the game. You know, it just goes down a notch. I think what I found difficult was, well, not found difficult, soon adapted, but... In the in the first two thirds of the field, it was more uh, build up play, trying to get to the last third. But when, once you got in the last third, it, it was done with pace, sheer pace. You had to attack with pace and be creative, and and, and you know general use of the ball had to be uh, quicker. Um, the coaching side was more technical. Um, the training sessions that we was doing in, in Marseille in 1996 um, was far more technical than. A, a, I'd ever done in, in um, back home in England, so I, I, I loved it. I, re, I really, you know, everything was done at a, a slower pace, but with more emphasis on the technique. And the training sessions were a, a real eye opener. But I loved my year out there. Yeah. Well, I'm going to pass it over to Chris because I know he wants to take a bit more of an in-depth look at your playing career. Yeah. Uh, so to you, Chris. Hi, Chris. Hi, Chris. You okay? Hi. Yeah, I'm all right. Thanks. Um, my first question was, how did the good people of Marseille find your accent <laughs> you quite a broad York, northern accent <laughs> about probably the same as you um, <laughs> it, 
it was alright. It was strange once you've thrown in at the deep end. You've, you've got you've got to learn to swim quickly. When I went over there, I didn't really talk any French apart from what I'd learned at school, which was really nothing. Very so very very basic. And uh, Marseille people are known as having a talking a lot and talking quick and having a strong accent. So when I went to the shops, I just didn't have a clue what they was talking about. So <laughs> I quickly learned that you know. You've got to learn the language. It's so important as a footballer when you move abroad. You've got to, you've got to adapt to their ways, and you got. To, so my main thing was as, as well as training as hard as I could was to learn the language as fast as I could. So I just re- you know I had um, loads of lessons every week and really got into it. Brilliant. Well, so I know last time I went to French, France, I thought I could ask for was a pineapple juice because I couldn't remember was hard enough. Was pineapple. <laughs> 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 so you honestly want to go over there because. <laughs> It's an it's an absolutely fanatical city in terms of football. Mm. They just um, they're so passionate. If, if I mean, if, if we lost the game, they used to come in the changing rooms, used to kick the cars and be fighting with the police and everything. So we had to win. The most important thing is we had to win our home games. What I mean, they're they're a massive club. It was frightening sometimes. Oh, brilliant. Um, well, first question is sent in from one of our forum members, um, Hornblower OA FC. Said, um, what was it like as a youngster playing for Oldham at their peak and then at the beginning of their slide down the level league? Um, unbelievable. I mean, I was at Oldham for 10 years since I was about... I left United Centre Vetsalist when I was about 12, 13, went to Oldham. Um, and it, it just... Joe Rowe did such an unbelievable job there and the, the club just... I won't say it got bigger and bigger, but it just developed as a club. Well, I think when when I used to go down there as a schoolboy watching uh, the first thing, I used to get two or three thousand. And, and by the time I was playing in the Premiership and Premiership with Oldham, I think the average was fifteen thousand. So the the rise of the football club was unbelievable. And to be part of it was a great experience. It was just it, what Joe done there and Willie Donachie was quite incredible. You know, I look, I look back on it with really fondly great memories there and, but then I don't think clubs like that can the size of them uh, clubs like Oldham or maybe Lancashire towns like Bolton and Blackburn can they really sustain it and Oldham just couldn't sustain it and then I was part yeah. of the not not the downfall because they were still in the championship which is quite a, a good level for Oldham Athletic you know but and since then they've been relegated again and they, they just can't seem to get back to that level but maybe yeah. You, you look at the history of the club. Maybe it was just a golden, a golden generation. Really, what, what Joe done there? I don't. I don't think it'll ever be repeated. No. No, he, he had fantastic sides there, and the the sides that he built, him and Willie Donachie were uh, fantastic. And I'm sure the fans look back and think, I'd love to see a little <laughs> bit of that again. Yeah, and then um, after Marseille, you're sold to Sunderland for half a million. Yeah, and. That season, you, you, you took part in probably the, the best playoff final ever, in my opinion. The four-all <laughs> draw of Charlton. Like so, a match. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, could you tell us what the what's the day like before the match? How do you build up to a playoff the final? The yeah. day was um, I, I'd been injured in and out of the side all season, and um, I just got fit for the semi-finals, and you know the. Uh, the, the, what's it called? The, you know, just before the final, and yeah. I think Darren Holloway was uh, was in the team at the time, uh, 
you know, there was, I think, um, I don't know how many subs were on the bench in them days, maybe two or three. So we was all vying to be on, on, on the bench and maybe take part in the game. And, you know, because it's been Wembley, there's 80,000 there. Luckily enough, a Premier Fitness and uh, Reedy put me on the bench and, you know, and it was getting beat. I think it was 1 0 at half time. And we never played well as a, as a team in the first half. And he put me on for the second half. And, that's what I was thinking about in, in the build-up to the game. It, you know, it, yeah. it's just like any other game, really. You know, you just you, you're thinking about what can happen, what will happen. You know, mm. this this is where the nerves come in and nerves and anticipation. Are we going to win today? If we win, you know, what feeling that be? We're back in the Premiership. So the build-up to the game, or for any game, it, it's just a nightmare because you, you you're trying to look ahead and trying to think of good things really but in the back of your mind you don't know you like the, the support you don't know what the, the result's going to be um, as it happens on that day you know we got beat on penalties and yeah. maybe maybe it was a good thing in eyesight because I don't think as a team or as a as a squad we, we, if we would have got promoted that day I don't think we would have done well in the Premiership the following season yeah. um, How did Peter Reid go about the side and the um, penalty takers? So you went known for your prolific score. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, I tell you what, he, he literally went round and we didn't really practice it to be honest. He literally, mm. literally went round and asked who wanted to take one. And I come on at half time, we'd done all right in the match. So I was buzzing with just being, it was the last game of the season, and it was a yeah. beautiful day. And there was 80,000 there, and I, I just. I had it in my mind. I was 25 years old. I just really wanted to make most uh, the most of that day, and I was yeah. feeling confident. I said, "I'll I said, just give us a penalty." So <laughs> he, he, he went round and asked them, and the ones that took one in the first five uh, all put their hands up. Hmm. And uh, what's it like uh, walking from the centre circle to take a penalty at Wembley? Yeah, have you seen that film, The Green Mile? <laughs> <laughs> like that. <laughs> It's uh, it was um, phew, it's just it's surreal. You can't really explain it. It's just you know it's like the longest walk ever. And mm. I just I remember taking me shin pads off and rolling my socks down. I thought I'll just get a little bit of air to my legs here and try and freshen up yeah. a little bit. It's just the longest walk ever. It's one of them. It, what's so bad about it? It just gives you time to think. And all good penalty yeah. takers always say get something in your mind and don't deviate it so if you you know pick a corner in your mind and, and, and keep it tap and, um, and that's what I was thinking I thought right I've picked my side I'm going to go to that side don't don't change your mind keep going to that side and um, I try to give uh, Sasha Rilich the keeper at the time for Charlton yeah. I try to give him the eyes one, one way and um, I went the other way but I could see you know peripheral vision I could see he's died mm. the right way for oh no he saved it and he managed to get a hand to it I think but I think the sheer power of it took it in yeah, don't man, laugh at that don't laugh at that last little bit there <laughs> no right. and then um, well, unfortunately you didn't go you lost on penalties but the next season you actually destroyed division yeah. 1 I think 105 points three defeats all season also yeah most standout moments of the season the, the the most standout moment of the following season yeah yeah that season um, was I think destroyed yeah I think we won I think we won the championship at, I think we went to Betty uh, Gig Lane you know and 
you know what a Sunderland fans are like. They're, you know, very similar to Marseille fanatic. But we have three. I think we have three sides of the ground. That was a great night. Then, yeah. And then we think we won the championship at Barnsley. But then I think um, I remember one game at home. I think it was Birmingham, the last game of the season. When yeah, I think I think it was Birmingham. And the whole day was it was just a celebration. You know, we had the families there, and the ground was bouncing. So I think it was yeah. more or less the last game of the season where everything was wrapped up and you could actually look forward to the Premiership being back in the Premiership yeah, and then you had uh, almost two excellent seasons in the Premiership I mean, you finished seventh two years yeah. in a row yeah, yeah. and then you um, you moved to Ipswich in yes. 2001 and, and they finished fifth as well so you had three great seasons in a row really didn't you well um, the, the only regret I have and when, and when we talked together on the lads that, that we played in that team is I'm talking about Sunderland now we, we, we yeah. should have played Europe we should have qualified for Europe we was good enough for that uh, for one reason or another we never I think I think we could have um, I don't know what the situation at the time with, was with Peter Reid or um, the chairman at the time um, mm. but I, I felt we could have added at certain times maybe got another top class player in or or maybe two I just yeah. I just felt like that, that team we had at Sunderland was good enough to play in, in, in Europe I think Aston Villa was the first season by a point you know and mm. you know it's just when they say when people say I have no regrets well I have a bit of a regret I should have played in Europe that team but anyhow yeah. And then the following season, it, you know, I was sold to Ipswich, and they, and they was one of our um, contenders for Europe that year. And yeah. then they got to Ipswich in the match, and, and we and when we qualified for the UEFA Cup, and it, it went down to the last game of the season. I think it was also in Liverpool, and was it Leeds? I think certainly uh, Liverpool was uh, involved in it. It went down mm. to the last game of the season where we, we could have finished in the Champions League. But to get yeah. the to get in the UEFA Cup with um, with Vitz, which was um, that was another. Have Ipswich only just been promoted that season? I'm trying to remember. I mm. think they were they was promoted in 1998 for the playoffs. Mm. Um, oh, 1998. Okay. We went up in 99. No, sorry, 2000. 2000. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, the mm. first season back. I think they qualified. Yeah. And, you know that was another great story as well. And I think uh, you got to the se- I think you got to the, was it the second or third round. You got to wasn't it? And you lost on. I think it was the third round. Yeah, I think we along the way. I think we beat one of the Moscow teams. I can't remember which one it was. Yeah. I can't remember where it was. Um, then we beat Helsingborg, which was a very tough place to go. And then we beat we, we went if, out eventually to into Milan away, but we beat them at home um, at Portman Road one 0 Alan yeah. Armstrong scored a penalty <coughs> full of uh, great players Zanetti um, Seydorf Adriano was a young player at the time uh, and then we played in the, we played the replay in the San Siro where East, which took about we had about 10,000 fans there so that was a great experience yeah. fortunately we, we got beat 4-1 on the night Alan Armstrong oh. Alan Armstrong scored another penalty mm. I think Christian Vieri scored a hat-trick that night he, he was different class but to play against a top team like that, it, it, yeah, it was a great, a great night, a great, a great, um, a great achievement for the club. Well, um, if we go on to um, today, was um, 
some of the other points of Poyat. Um, do yeah. you think he's the new Di Canio or is he the saviour? Uh, I don't know what's going on in that club. I can't believe it. I, can't, um, I don't know what's going on. It seems to be Alice's appointment. It seems to be the, 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 the director of balls. Well, it seems to be his appointment, rather. Yeah, well, you know, I, I mean, what, you know, he, he done well last year keeping him up to Canio for starters. Mm. So obviously they are going to offer you know, an extension or you know whatever so they back him in the summer to the tune of I think it's 19, 20 million which it's is 14, 14 players yeah. yeah so that's him to the tune of 19, 20 million and sack him after five games yeah that's so got, you know I mean I brought up the point the other day what if Gus Poyet loses the next five games what happens then we're going to sack him you know and it's the first time I've ever seen where you've gone down in the you've come favourites to go down now since he's well, been appointed you were, you were evens and then you've gone to odds on to be well, relegated well the, the fact of the matter they're, they're in a, a relegation battle now so yeah. someone said to me the other day well in the present form can you see him staying up in the present form no they're going to go down yeah. um, so Gus Poyet has got a hell of a job to do there uh, has he got the experience no He's got a similar background to Paolo Di Canio, where he's managed in a lower league. Done quite mm. well. So did Paolo Di Canio, but, I've, you know, they both never managed in the, in the Premier League before. And I don't care what what experience yeah, exactly. you know, yeah, what experience he had as a player in the Premier League. I'm sure it's... I mean, I've never managed, so I'm sure it's totally different to manage. Yeah. Di Canio found that out. And, and Gus Poyet, as, as much as I wish him all the best and all the luck and hopefully he'll keep him up this year it's just a big question mark for me I, I, you know can he handle it at that at that level and I, I hope he can Paul have you got any more questions? Um, no uh, Chris you've asked all of my mate um, it's been a pleasure to, to have you on tonight Chris I'm getting no really confused between the two of you now um, <laughs> um, hopefully you'll, you'll come back on again certainly with your work out in Qatar it'll be great to sort of get you know a bit more of an insight into the World Cup as it draws nearer and, of course um, you yeah. know, we'll, we'll get you back on in the show probably uh, in the new year and we'll have a look at what the updates are as the infrastructures get put in place um, but, definitely but for tonight it's been a pleasure Chris and uh, enjoy the rest of your night cheers boys thank you Chris, thank you, Chris. Okay. Okay, thank you. bye bye bye